0: So I kind of was bragging, we're going to celebrate 50 years uh, being married this August and I was just chatting with uh, Jack and Margaret Knight in the foyer and they just two days ago had their 69th, so I thought it would be great to give them a hand there. They've been married as long as, almost as I am old, that's a long time, next year will be their 70th. Uh, So I'm going to use some illustrations this morning about our uh, marriage as I talk about our relationship with Christ and how to make it intimate and close, and uh, there's always people in the audience that are either in a present state of uh, difficulty in their marriage or have gone through that or have been divorced that... Uh, sometimes those illustrations will make you feel guilty. And so if you are one of those individuals and I start talking about how wonderful my marriage is and this is why, and you are think, oh, man, I'm just dirt. Uh, wh- when that happens, one of the things that's important to understand is it's a good thing uh, not to, at that point, uh, start uh, blaming, shaming, justifying, excusing, ignoring, none of those sort of self-protection kinds of devices, but simply say yeah, if I had it to do over again, I could probably do it that way. And and then just to acknowledge mistakes, uh, sins, wrong choices. And when we do that, it's amazing how God then heals and gives peace, and we have a sense of that's in the past, it's over. have got new days coming. But whenever you uh, just sort of push against it, it doesn't get over. And so I just... That's free. That's not part of the sermon. Uh, you don't have to pay for that one. So I like uh, rules in relationships, especially ahead of schedule, at, uh, ahead of time. It kind of makes things go smoother. If you go fishing with me, I'll say, here's a couple of rules that I usually operate by. Uh, so if we go and you catch uh, three fish and I catch seven, when we leave, we'll take five apiece. That work for you? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Here's a rule, number two rule. I catch three fish and you catch seven, and you put it on Facebook that you outfished me. We're never fishing again. <laughs> just so you know the rules, okay? That's how it goes. So Patty and I have some rules, and they weren't you know, sort of pasted anywhere, but over time we began to function by these rules. And uh, I thought I'd just read them to you quick. They're short, easy-to-remember, basic stuff. Number one, anger is never acceptable in our communication. Anger is never an option. Uh, As we solve problems, deal with frustrations, uh, we're not even going to get angry a little bit. Second thing, we can communicate frustration and discontentment with each other, but never in a way that dishonors or tears down, never scolding or shaming. Number three, we, have, we both have flaws and defects in our character, Patty more than me, and, uh, <clears throat> and behavior, but we are both so much better than we were when we first got married, so let's major on the positives and appreciate uh, each other's strengths. Four, we do not restrict the other's freedom to serve, to develop our giftedness, or be involved in our church. We will not be overly dependent on our mates so that we become jealous and controlling of their time away from us. And so the basic rule between us is, Uh, she has all the time she wants to serve, to use her gift however she likes and I won't get jealous five we'll never deny sex to each other even if we're tired, that's my favorite rule Uh, six, we're always eager to serve each other no matter how long the honey do list is, seven, we do not correct our spouse in public eight, we pray with each other and for each other nine, we will forgive each other quickly of any offense, ten, we will laugh at each other's dumb moves but never humiliate so Simple little re- list of rules in relationship, but they work. And the result is uh, we're going to be married 50 years, and my boast is that we have the best marriage that has ever happened in existence since Adam on. Now, no way to prove that, but I can say it, huh? And uh, because of rules. Now, we don't, at this point, we don't really need them. We just live them. We just do them. That's the way things are. That's the way our relationship is. And our relationship with Christ sort of begins at the beginning, sort of mechanical. There's some rules. You do this, you do this, you do this. And if you follow, pretty soon you grow to the point where your relationship is active, it's living, it's intimate, it's real. And um, you know in your head how to live and what to do. Uh, Rules are just about totally unnecessary in your life. So let's go through this. Number one in your notes. In the Bible, the most well-known list of rules to live by is the Ten Commandments. So when I make rules, I often do lists of ten. Work for God? I guess it'll work for me. Uh, these were a big deal to the people of God. He wrote them on a stone with his finger. That's how uh, you know, permanently they were written. You couldn't erase them, couldn't change them, couldn't modify them. They were set. You'd heard the term set in stone, Uh, That's where that came from. Jesus, or God, the Father, wrote on a stone the Ten Commandments. Number two, as we progress through the Bible and through history, the list of rules changes. In our Hebrews class, we're talking about covenants and how each of the covenants has a different set of rules for the people that are involved in that uh, particular covenant. Hebrews 7, 12, for when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also a change of law also and so today we live in the new covenant and we live under a different set of rules than the old testament uh, sometimes people say we don't live under the old testament no we don't follow the ten commandments no well what do you mean we don't have rules oh yeah 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 there's a whole lot of rules let me read to you romans just romans just one part of a uh, little short part of the book of romans let love be without hypocrisy a poor what is evil Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's like 25 rules right there. And uh, you say, how are you going to do if you live those? You're going to do pretty good. Number three in your notes, in the New Covenant, there are many rules written in the New Testament for us to read, to know, and to follow, but the emphasis is that as we seek the Lord and grow close to Him, we'll know. We'll know how to live. As we seek the Lord and grow close to Him, uh, the rules, the laws will be in us, as it were, there's this desire in us everybody has it to some degree we sometimes don't know how to put it into words but the desire is to we don't like rules and that's a good thing as long as we don't live in chaos and rebellion and independence we'd like to live proactively doing what's right as some say I'd like to just do it from my heart that's good, cool. If your heart is right, and it can be, as you pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, James chapter two, Abraham believed God; it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was called the friend of God. Exodus thirty three eleven. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. Deuteronomy four twenty nine. From there you will seek the Lord your God; you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and soul. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord his strength, seek his face continually. Second Chronicles 12, 14, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So in the book of Hebrews, we're talking about that Sunday morning at 8, Wednesday night at 7. and chapter 8 it says, for if that first covenant, that's the covenant that the nation of Israel, the one Moses received on the mountain, uh, had been... Uh, Faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second for finding fault with them, he says. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. We live under the new covenant today, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They did not continue in my covenant. I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, they shall be my people. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he set a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So the fulfillment of that is going to be in the millennial kingdom, but as we move towards that, this is the goal. The desire is that we would live like that. Psalms 27, 8, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord. When you seek him, grow close to him. This is what will happen. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in the level path because of my foes. Number four, we proactively seek the Lord and grow close to Him by faithfully practicing certain basic disciplines of the Christian life. So if you come and see me and say, hey, Pastor D, I heard you say that you have the best marriage ever, and mine is like the worst marriage ever, could you help me? I say, yeah, I could do that. So let me just give you some assignments. First assignment, go on a date every week, and on your date, talk for at least... 30 minutes. Communicate about what's going on and uh, don't fight, don't get angry but just talk about what's going on, what your needs are, what your frustrations are. Just communicate. Just 30 minutes every week. And then come back next week. And so you'd come back next week and I'd give you an assignment. And you'd come back the next week and I'd give you an assignment. And if you did those assignments, your marriage would improve. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So, if you want a relationship with Jesus that's growing, there's just certain basic disciplines that you follow, and the first one is read the Bible every day. So, if you've gone to church here very long, you've heard me say that ten thousand times. I say it that many times because many people do it, and it's such a critical, foundational discipline of our life to have a relationship with Him that's real. Is read the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's how He communicates to us. That's how you listen. Read the Bible. Psalms 119 verse 2, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies. That means they read his word, who seek him with all their heart, who seek him with all their heart. That's how you seek him. That's how you draw near to him. You read the Bible every day. Spend time with the Lord in prayer every day. That means you talk to him. You listen to the Bible, he talks to you. You talk to him in prayer. And the result is not just that you get things done, uh, problem solved, but you grow. Your relationship with him becomes intimate and real. James 4, 8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Examine your life and confess all known sin to God every day. So, you know, we have the best marriage ever, but I still do things, say things that uh, hurt, offend, grieve, Patty, and I can fix it. I just say, I'm sorry. I blew that one would you forgive me and she does and she hugs me and everything's cool we maintain intimacy by not getting defensive not justifying not blaming but owning what we do that hurts the other person we acknowledge it we confess it and it's over it's done the same is true with god examine your life for sin confess all known sin to god it ought to be a daily thing and it's amazing what it does in our walk relationship with him psalms 32 5 And I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then he goes on and says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So that's what we want, is that we have that sense inside of us. This is God's will, this is what I do, this is how I live. And we live uh, from our heart. Gather with other believers often. That's a basic basic principle of having a relationship with God that's growing in intimacy. The reason is is because God communicates to us through other people. We're the body of Christ. I communicate, you communicate, and together we hear God speaking to us through each other. Hebrews 10:24, "Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Worship, praise, thank the Lord constantly for everything. Now, in our marriage, that's a major issue. Appreciate, 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 say thank you. Uh, I don't need to point out faults, I don't need to be critical. Patty pretty well knows what all her faults are without me telling her. I pretty well know what mine are without her telling me. So let's major on the good things and tell each other how we're doing uh, good that's blessing each other. And so appreciate and say thank you all the time. Huge deal in relationship. Same's true with God. Psalms 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Enter his gates, enter his presence by saying thank you, thank you, thank you. So, number five, this is a biggie. This is a huge, big one. A very powerful discipline in our pursuit of Jesus is giving systematically and sacrificially of our money to God's work. So I studied, over the years, backsliders. It just <clears throat> drives me crazy. People who grow and grow and excited, and then all of a sudden they just drift away and go, and, and then they're gone. They've totally fallen away from Him. And so I said, how, how come? Why, 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 why? And so I... Sometimes I take them out to lunch, sometimes I just observe their life. But one of the common denominators in almost every instance is a reluctance to give much to the work of God because after all, that's how I pay my bills, that money. I earned it, I worked hard for it, so I'm not going to give it away, not very much anyway. It's a singular, most common denominator between those who drift away from God is the failure to give sacrificially to Him uh, for the work of God. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven, but you, besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Now, if I were to ask you, is that verse true of you? And you could say, yeah. So my response would be, prove it. How do you know it's true? 1 John 2, 15, Do you Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a pretty black and white statement. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Do you love the world? Well, no. Prove it. Our security is in our ability to earn money. Our security is in our ability to pay our mortgage. Our security is in our retirement. That's what gives us this sense of, ah, yeah, life is good. And something has become a god in our life besides God. And uh, He will have no other gods before him. I one time, I mean, you know, I joke all the time, and I forget what it was that was going on, but I made this statement to Patty. I guess I'll have to get a concubine. (laughs) You know, I'm just joking, but uh, she didn't laugh. (laughs) I thought, okay, I don't think that one went over well. Probably that should be one of those ones I say, hey, I'm sorry, that was a, I blew that. I, and so I did. I said, I, I'm just joking. I'd never do that. You know that. Uh, Don't you? I never. I, I'm sorry. So I've never even come close to hinting at that one again. No concubines for me. <laughs> so why was it she didn't laugh at the joke? Well, because it is such a big deal. I'm the only one. And she didn't want me even joking about anyone else coming into my life besides her. I said, I was only going to get a concubine to wash the dishes just to help you out. Nothing, no big deal. It didn't matter what the concubine was for. No concubines. So God will have no other gods in, uh, in my life. He is a jealous God. Matthew six twenty four. no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other. He will hold the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Can't do it. James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Matthew 6.19, do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Where well, your treasure is, there will your heart be guy said to me a number of years ago, I don't love my wife anymore. I said, I can fix that. He said, you can? I said, yeah. Every night before you get home, you stop and buy your wife a gift. A card with a nice note on it, uh, a Coke, a cup of coffee, occasionally a nicer one. But every night, you go home and say, hey, babies, I love you. Here's a present. And uh, he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you give to regularly over and over and over again, it affects your emotions, and pretty soon you say, I don't love my wife. You're talking emotions. Well, you will. That's a lot of time just to stop every night. So are you interested in this marriage or not? You want to fix it or not? Take the time. Spend the money. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where you, what you give to, that's where your emotions are going to be. Uh, Luke 12.33, uh, I sell your possessions. So, uh, or, excuse me, Mark 10.21. Uh, this dude comes to Jesus and he wants to be his disciple. And Jesus gives him some things to do. And he says, yeah, I'm doing good on all those. And then he says, Jesus felt a love for him and said, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possess and give to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven, follow me. You know what Jesus was saying? He's saying, you love me, prove it. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the guy walked away sad because he owned much. Luke 12:33. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourself purses which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no thief comes near nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Now, Jesus isn't going to ask most of us to do that uh, unless he sees that we are so in love with the world and money that that's the only thing that will fix it. But... Our giving sacrificially is what keeps our heart focused on Jesus rather than on the world. And the failure to give uh, is an indication, a clear indication, that we love the world rather than God. Number six, this discipline is so important to God that he brings major blessings into our life when we give sacrificially because of him. And so God's always wanting to motivate right behavior, right action, so there isn't a discipline in the Bible that He rewards clearly in Scripture as much as sacrificial giving. <clears throat> Luke six thirty-eight, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. Deuteronomy fifteen ten, you shall generously give, generously give to him. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to Him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you, will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Bless you in all your work and all your undertakings. Why? Because you give generously to Him. Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So, some of you, you know this, I've said this repeatedly, we don't live in the Old Testament, we don't live under the Old Covenant, and so somebody walks up to me and says, shall I tithe before taxes or after? I said, "A tithe, if you're talking 10%, that's in the past. In the New Covenant, uh, the tithe or the amount we give, we give systematically, but you decide. There's no law, no rule that says how much. You decide. But there is not a discipline of the Bible where God challenges us. Test me. Test me. Just see if it isn't true that I'll not work for you. So what are you giving now? Well, not much. Okay, let's just assume you're not giving anything. How about let's make a commitment, you and I, that you're going to give 2% for three months. That's not a lot. It's more than you're giving now. Okay, 2%, three months. And then after three months, let's just move it up to three, because you'll kind of figure out how to make it happen. Then when you do that for three or four months, then jump it up to four. So when do I stop on this? Well, when you get to be about 99%. (laughs) Just joking. But I did know a friend that was given 90%. He got audited every year. But he was amazingly blessed. And he'd done it, just increasing every year, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. God blessed, God blessed, God blessed. And he kept giving, kept giving. And he was doing great. So God says... Test me now in this. Just see if it isn't true. Uh, Just do it systematically. Number seven, the discipline of giving sacrificially is very difficult to maintain. Making a goal a commitment is powerful. So the question is what is yours? Most people are going to say, What is my what? Your goal, your commitment as far as your money goes with God. Um, What's your plan? What's your strategy? If you don't have one, your flesh will take over. If you don't have one, the devil will take over. If you don't have one, the world will take over. You'll love the world and the money more than God, and you'll drift away from Him. So make a commitment, have a plan, have a strategy. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, purposed in his heart, ahead of time. That means you make a commitment to God. This is what I'll do. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, Several years ago, I... This is a side, but it's it's a fun one. I said, uh, preaching, I said, God loves some people more than others. Clear in Scripture. Well, afterwards, there was this visitor, this lady. She came up to me, and she got really close to me, and she was really ticked off. She says, give me one verse that says God loves some people more than others. I said, "Uh, okay, but first you give me a verse that says He loves everybody the same. Well, John 3.16 does it really say that. He loved the world, and He gave His Son that He might... Uh, pay the price of their sins so they can live in heaven, but does that really say that he loves everybody the same? Well, where does it say he loves some more than others? Well, how about 2 Corinthians 9 where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Are you a cheerful giver? She said, "Uh, well, so, I am. He loves me more than you. says so right there. 2 Corinthians 9:5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised, previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say: he who sows sparingly, that is, you don't give a whole lot, will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. So, how much shall I give? How much do I want? Do I want God to bless me in every area of my life and all that I put my hand to? Do I want to grow in my walk and relationship with Jesus so that I sense his pleasure? I sense in him his pleasure in me and how I live and how I talk. Do I want to live as a person that is living from the heart as it were because I know what makes him happy, what pleases him, I know, and I sense his displeasure. I'm motivated from the inside out, not by rules. I can get there. That's a great way to live. But it's like a good marriage. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen simply by living in the same house. And so with Jesus, read the word, spend time in prayer. Confess all known sin to God. Do the basics that enhance and you get to the point where you are close and your relationship is real. It's not in your head, it's it's real. It's how you are, it's how you live. But the biggie. The biggest concubine, as it were, in our life uh, and between us and God is our money. And if we don't learn how to deal with it and to enjoy giving to his work, then we're really going to struggle in this area of walking intimately with him. Let's pray. Father, we love you very much. We thank you for the great gift you gave us, the sacrifice we can't comprehend, and it's enormity, and that is your son, Jesus to live and to die, for us to take our place, to pay the penalty of our sins so we could live with you for eternity. And you are a God who gives, and you love a cheerful giver. And where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And, Lord, I pray that as we live in the midst of a world that loves money, idolizes it, pursues it, that we would not be those who love the world or the things in it, but we love you. And we can say without any hesitation. Besides you, I desire nothing. Besides you, I need nothing. And we've proven that you you take care of us as we give to your work. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.